Tonight we're going to begin uh, the first of three messages, and it will be interrupted not only by Thanksgiving, but also um, by a guest uh, on December 1st, but three messages before uh, we leave for the break. And uh, the focus of these is going to be upon how we might, how we ought to live in light of what the Scripture tells us that Jesus Christ, our Lord, is returning, is coming again. Uh, That he's coming again, um, not only to save, but also to judge the world and to establish uh, what the Scripture speaks of as a new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness uh, dwells. You know, it's interesting that the return of Christ, uh, the second coming, uh, this is one of the central beliefs of uh, 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 truths that's set forth in Scripture, and it's also one of the central historic beliefs of uh, Christianity. Um, and yet, it is something that uh, many people would agree is largely ignored or neglected uh, among Christians and, and in the churches. Um, and yet, uh, when you begin to look at the scripture, you see that it's central. When Jesus, for example, ascended to the Father um, after his resurrection from the dead, uh, the disciples there, uh, you can envision uh, uh, just a truly awesome kind of scene that, in a way, I can't imagine. It, but they apparently are watching him uh, disappear uh, from sight and uh, looking up into the sky, and two angels uh, challenge them in that moment and say, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him going to heaven. And that's what we pray for, whether we're thinking about it or not, when we say, for example, the Lord's Prayer, and we pray, Lord, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth, as it is in heaven. And yet, you know, when we when we pray that, do we what do we mean when we say those words? Um, and and how should the hope that that prayer expresses, Lord, thy kingdom come, how should that impact the sort of people that we are today, the way we live? Um, and do we even believe this is going to or could ever actually happen? What, in other words, really are we waiting for? Um, uh, not only in terms of what we profess, but actually the group of us here in this room, what are we actually waiting for? And so tonight uh, we're going to look at, at a passage that urges us uh, to live uh, with the return of Christ always in view. And this is um, from Second Peter, chapter 3. So this is the second letter that uh, the Apostle Peter wrote, and uh, as you see there, he makes reference to that in in the first verse. Um, And he has a chief concern in this short letter to urge these believers, um, uh, both to warn them against uh, destructive and deceptive uh, false teachers, and also to um, urge them on uh, in their faith in Christ. Uh, so let me read, um, not the whole, but uh, I'm going to read 11 verses out of chapter 3. So this is God's Word. Peter writes, This is now the second letter that I'm writing to you, beloved. In both of them, 
I am stirring you up. This is my goal, to stir you up, uh, stir up your sincere mind by way of reminder that you should remember the predictions of the Holy Prophets and the commandment of our Lord and Savior through your apostles, knowing this, first of all, that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing, following their own desires, and they will say, where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. For they deliberately, when they say this, they deliberately overlook this fact, that the heavens existed long ago, and the earth was formed out of water and through water by the word of God. And that by means of these, the world that then existed was deluged with water and perished. By the same word, the heavens and earth that now exist are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. But do not look, uh, overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come, like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. But according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Well, that's quite a passage. Um, and I, I hope, uh, I mean, I would understand if you were in some measure struck by it as, as having a, a, a negative force, uh, all this talk about destruction and the uh, earth being uh, burned and dissolved. And that... Uh, those images certainly reflect the note of warning that, that Peter wants to sound, particularly with regard to the dangerous uh, false teachers who, who um, are, have potential to lead the, the church astray. Um, but there's also great hope here and great promise, and I hope we can see that uh, as well as we think about this topic of the second coming of Christ. And so I want to look first at Peter's reminder to us in fact, to try to get the second coming of Christ tonight sort of back onto our screens, and then um, at how he, he, he uses that to exhort and motivate us secondly. So I don't have really three points, but sort of two points. Sorry. Um, <laughs> so first of all, uh, his reminder, what are we waiting for? And uh, he, he gives us this... Um, as it were, a reminder to remember that, yes, the day of the Lord will come. So he's stirring us up, and he's, he's concerned, I think, about two different things. Number one, that these people that he refers to, maybe you should go back to the first slide, as, as scoffers. Um, but uh, along with that, he's also worried that the, the, the believers themselves might be uh, discouraged. And so in the first place, he's, he's warning them against uh, people who react to this idea of uh, the return of Christ 
as, uh, as silly. This is just a stupid idea. Um, uh, it's unsupported. It's not, it's not rational. It's not reasonable. It's not supported by evidence. Um, they subscribe to what we might use the big term uniformitarianism. Right? And, well, look at the world, and everything just continues exactly as it has from the beginning. Um, this idea of you know, God returning in the person of Christ is, is completely outside of the realm of uh, the natural order of things. And so they are, uh, we, we might also call them naturalists. And they're, they're intellectual snobs, they're skeptics, uh, they're cynics. And they hold to a perspective in which God is, is absent, or at least distant, remote, uninvolved in uh, the day-to-day, and irrelevant to the day-to-day stuff of life. And you know, as it was then, it's not so very different now, right? It's not so different uh, for us, if we're honest. It's, it's not easy for us to keep not only these, these promises in view, but to really believe uh, that, that, they are, that they are true. Uh, there's a great challenge for us. Think about your day today. Think about your week. How much was your week informed uh, by uh, waiting expectantly for Jesus to return? I won't ask for a show of hands, but you know, how many of you even thought about that this week? Um, maybe, maybe some, maybe none. Uh, we tend to focus so much on the, the concerns of, of our present moment, um, everything from what am I going to wear today to, you know, does my, my hair look right <laughs> to um, getting our schoolwork done. I don't worry too much about that. <laughs> um, you know, to, to the, the activities, what's on my to-do list today, what am I going to have for lunch, who am I going to eat with. Um, at, and, and when we do look sort of beyond the immediate uh, occupations of the day, it's usually mostly to the near future, right? Um, we're, we're usually thinking about, oh, what do I have to do to get into grad school? What grad schools am I smart enough to get into? Um, you know, I've got to write my personal statement. I, you know, I've got to get my recommendations. Or we're, we're worried. <laughs> I see some nervous smiles. Uh, or we're, we're uh, you know, worried about this job interview or, 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 or that. Um, Maybe we're thinking about finding a spouse. But all of these things are kind of near-view concerns. And we tend, uh, frankly, um, you know, fears of, uh, I don't know, you know, the plague or global warming or nuclear war, those kinds of, to us, kind of cataclysmic in-breakings. We, we, we tend to live as though the way, the way the world is is the way it's always going to be. Um, and we really tend to uh, either disregard or, or disbelieve things that the Scripture says about this world. This world in its present form, the Apostle Paul says in a straightforward way, is passing away. This world in its present form is not uh, the ultimate. And forgetting or stopping at the idea that Christ will return can easily become living as though it's not going to happen. 
and Peter uh, describes these scoffers as just those people, and in fact, maybe even justifying the way they want to live by saying that's never going to happen. And so he describes them as people who, who do what? They follow their own sinful desires. They're not only rejecting uh, the, the return of Christ and God's coming, but, but they're, what's really animating them is, I want what I want, and I want it now. And, and so they, they are people who are living without any sense of accountability to God for their actions, pursuing their own uh, lusts and desires, living without regard to God, living without regard to his, his revealed purposes and to the promised future. And, you know, this is not something new in New Testament times. Um, the psalmist describes people who scoff at God Psalm 73, the psalmist says, you know, the, the wicked say, how can God know? He, he doesn't know anything. He doesn't know what's going on. Or Psalm 94 talks about uh, the wicked. They kill the widow and the sojourner. They murder the fatherless. And then they say, the Lord doesn't see. The God of Jacob doesn't perceive. The psalmist comes back and says, understand, O dullest of people, you fools. When will you be wise? He who planted the ear, does he not hear? He who formed the eye, does he not see? And so throughout the ages, God's servants, God's prophets, uh, have to call a people who are hard of hearing and, and, and dull of seeing, have to call them to uh, reflect upon their ways and uh, to give up their scoffing um, or to continue in it at, at their peril. And, you know, we often, I think, see this attitude right up very much in the present day. Um, perhaps we see it in the ongoing and really tragic revelations of pervasive sexual harassment and assault that just fill our headlines day after day after day. People behaving, in other words, as though there will be no accounting for their actions. But it's far too easy for all of us to, and, and, and for our culture, to point the finger at them and say, well, those people are awful. And yet what about us? To what extent are, are we living, maybe more quietly, maybe more privately, maybe we just haven't been discovered, as though there will be no accounting for our actions, as though the God who made our ears and our eyes does not see and have knowledge of what we're up to. And, and so Peter wants us to see that living this life as, as though this world is all that matters is, is short-sighted and foolish. Uh, it is dangerous. It can lead to catastrophic consequences. And so to, to the scoffers and to us, Peter sounds a solemn uh, warning don't scoff at these ideas, he says. Don't ignore them. Why? Well, he points to the fact that no, things don't always continue just the same way. And, and he points them to, uh, going to the next slide, he points them to two uh, interventions of God in the past. Uh, the first being the earth was formed 
by the word of God, that God in the first place created the cosmos, the world, and all that is in it. And then, uh, secondly, that he has previously intervened in a, in a catastrophic way in this world, and he, he makes reference to the time of Noah and the flood there in verse 6. The world that then existed was deluged and perished, how? By the word of God. And he's saying, you know, your reasoning's not even good, your history is not good when you scoff at, at this. You're deliberately overlooking the facts of what God has done. And Peter's, in effect, saying, look, he did it once. He's going to do it again. Make no mistake. God is not one to make idle threats. Uh, he is willing and able to do uh, as he says he will do, and he doesn't make promises either that he will not keep. And he has proven himself to be a promise keeper. So, don't be deceived is Peter's first warning. But then, he also, to, to the, the believers, he doesn't want them to be discouraged. The scoffers are undoubtedly probably not, uh, not Christian, but Peter's concerned that their cynicism and their skepticism might sort of seep into the Christian community and uh, trouble the believers into beginning to, to wonder, well, well, I guess, yeah, I did think Jesus would have come back by now, and he hasn't, so, hmm, maybe something's up with that. Maybe, maybe there is a problem here. You know, I told this story a, a, a few weeks ago in a different context, but it's like my kids, you know, waiting for mom and dad to come pick them up. Oh, they'll be here. Yeah, they'll be here. Um, and they wait on the curb a little longer. Oh, I'm sure they're coming. I'm sure they're coming. Hmm. Well, maybe they're not coming, right? And, uh, you know, there was a, the, the, this, this kind of danger that the, the early Christians, I mean, it's clear that the first Christians imagined uh, after the completely unexpected, oh, the Messiah's going to die. Um, okay, we didn't see that one coming, but all right, he's raised from the dead. Okay, we're back on track. Now it must be time for the kingdom to come. And so, you know, one of the first questions they're asking Jesus after his resurrection is, Lord, is now the time when you're going to restore the kingdom? And all these things that were promised are, are going to be fulfilled. And, you know, Jesus just gives them an enigmatic answer and says, you know, guys, uh, it's not for you to know that. Um, and then... Uh, uh, you know, then time passes, and he hasn't returned. You know, in the New Testament, we, we see it, even in the teachings of Jesus himself, a kind of attention. You could look, uh, just read Matthew 24 and 25, attention between, on the one hand, Jesus uh, uh, saying, you've got to be ready, this could happen at any moment, uh, and also, well, but this might not happen at any moment. This might not happen for some time. So they might have begun to be discouraged. Well, maybe it's not ever going to happen. And Peter encourages them and gives them this fresh perspective on God's timing and his purpose. And because he doesn't want them to begin to think, along with the way the scholars think, that the delay means that Jesus isn't ever coming after all. He tells them, you know, this famous uh, passage, uh, that God's way of measuring time is uh, 
different from our way of marking time. What's long for us is short for God. And so we do better, Peter wants to tell us, to see the delay ultimately as, as evidence of God's patience and of God's mercy, uh, enabling more people to come to, the, to repentance and to the knowledge of him. But Peter says, however long, whether, whether it happens tonight before you get back to your room. You ready for that? Whether it happens tonight, or whether it doesn't happen until your, your lifetime has, has come to its fullness and it ends, Peter says the day will come. And when it comes, it will come, quoting the words of Jesus himself, it will come like a thief. How does a thief come? A thief comes unexpectedly. A thief comes in power and strength. And so Peter wants to say, be ready. Be waiting. Be expected. Be prepared. Are, are you ready tonight? And so the, the hope and the promise uh, that's set before us as believers is a vision uh, that, that is both one of, of, a, of a catastrophic judgment, he does use this apocalyptic language of the, the, the elements being dissolved with, with fire, but it's also, it's also a promise and a hope of a triumphant renewal. Both a day in which everything is, is laid bare before God, the living God, the judge, but also a day, he says, in which we are, we are looking forward to, and I guess it's on the, the, the next slide, we're, we're looking forward to waiting for a new heavens and a new earth where righteousness dwells. Picking up on the promises of the great prophet Isaiah of a new heavens and a new earth. What some would say is the most glorious promise in all of the Bible. And that right there challenges us because we're so focused upon ourselves and our own salvation, and yet God's plan is so much larger than just you. God's plan is for the, the renewal, the redemption, the transformation of the entire heavens and the earth into a new heavens and earth. And this is a promise that you can trace right through the prophets, through Jesus through the apostles, right into the book of Revelation, which has this glorious image of uh, the, the heavenly Jerusalem coming down onto earth into the new heavens and the new earth, and God dwelling there among his people. A new earth in which righteousness dwells. And Peter says, it's coming. Jesus is coming. Wait for it. Prepare for it. Hasten it. And so I hope I've at least succeeded in, in these few moments in sort of pulling this idea of the return of Christ somewhat onto your screen and got you thinking about it. And, and what, what Peter wants to do then is to set this promise before us as one of the most uh, significant motivations, and we find this elsewhere in Scripture, motivations uh, to have a direct impact on how we live right now. Right now. In other words, 
uh, notice there in verse uh, 11. Yeah. Since all these things I'm talking about, the judgment, the consummation that I'm talking about, is going to happen, what sort of people ought you to be right now in lives of holiness and godliness as you wait for and hasten the coming of the day of God? The, the wellspring of motivation, I mean, think about this, the wellspring of motivation to live a godly life is, I, I would say, is twofold. It is on the one hand, looking back in trust to the saving work of Christ upon the cross, where he triumphed over sin, over death, demonstrated that by rising again from the dead at his first coming, Looking back on that with trust, with gratitude, but also, at the same time, looking forward in hope to what Peter is talking about, to the triumphant return of Christ to establish this new heavens and this new earth. And it's, it's this hopeful vision Peter, Peter wants to set before us to sustain us not to give up, to persevere, and, and to remain faithful. Our conduct, the way we live our lives, is always connected to, and is always an outworking of our conviction. What you really believe about reality and your place in it is, is one of the most profound things. Your convictions will work their way out in your conduct, and what you pursue, and what you give yourself to. And remembering that Christ could return at any mo moment can, can profoundly motivate us in terms of the way we live. If, if I really get it into my head, um, it's going to shake things up. Uh, it, it, it's, it's going to, to, to uh, make an impact. It may even cause you suddenly to start to question everything you're doing. Whoa, does this all this make even sense, what I'm doing, if Christ is returning? And that could be a scary kind of a process to get into, but that's not a bad uh, place to go. When we keep God's promised future in view, it, it will profoundly shape how we live in the present. And that's what Peter's burden is, because we're all tempted, as we've already said, to live as though this is all there is. And so we focus on what we're going to, I'm going to build a big bank account so that maybe I can one day donate a lot of money and, ooh, name a building at Princeton after me, right? Uh, or, uh, Maybe that's not so exciting to you. So I'm going to devote myself to building a, a career and growing in my sense of mastery and accomplishment and maybe my sense of power by how many people uh, work for me. Or, or maybe I'm just going to give myself over to comfort and pleasure and personal peace and affluence. Or uh, devote myself just to amassing things. Peter wants uh, us to be shaken all the time by the reality. That so many of the things, to use his language, that we devote ourselves to, are they're going to be burned up. They're not, they're not ultimate. They're, they're not going to last. They are not what, what ultimately you know, carries up, up over with us in, into the new heavens and, and the new earth. Things like, you know, people matter more than things. Your character 
holiness and godliness of living. Your character is something Peter seems to say will carry through. What, uh, what will last are works done in holiness and godliness, living now in a way that reflects God, that resembles God, and that honors God. And that's, that's why he's calling us. He says, in light of God's promised future, brothers and sisters, pursue holiness, pursue godliness of life. And you may say, well, those are just really, what does that mean? You know, does that mean I walk around with a big Bible every day? You know, is that, uh, what does it mean to pursue holiness and godliness of life? Really quick, holiness, big word, just means set apart, a life set apart to God, a manner of life that is oriented toward God, that he's really there, that he is who he says he is. And, and therefore, I, I want to, to order my life according to what he is like, according to what he approves, according to what conforms to his character and his beauty and his glory. Godliness, similarly, um, similar to the Old Testament concept of the fear of God, it, it, has, it has, in some ways, uh, uh, the idea of distance from, ultimately, in its root. And so synonyms of godliness would be things like awe or reverence. And that might lead us to think of words like worship. Um, it, it describes, again, in, in not the exact same way as holiness, a manner of life that is always thinking about the fact that I'm a creature uh, made by the Creator God. Uh, I'm a redeemed servant of Jesus Christ. And so my whole life is lived in reference to God, holiness and godliness of life. And we see the theme as Peter opens his letter. Um, he gives uh, a list of some of the qualities that mark godliness and holiness of life. And I won't turn you there, but he says, you know, add to your faith virtue, and to virtue wisdom, and to, to wisdom self-control and to self-control, steadfastness, or patience, and to steadfastness, this, this godliness, this orientation toward God, and, and to godliness, brotherly affection, and to brotherly affection, love. And, you know, if you, if you want to get a little bit more specific about well, what does it mean for me to live a holy and godly life, you could start with a list like that, and begin to say, God, are, are these qualities increasing in my life? in the way I treat other people and what I'm devoted to and, and what occupies my, my time. So in other words, Peter is not calling us to say, oh, in, in light of the coming of Christ, let's all drop out of class. <coughs> let's all go, go meet at Poe Field and just sit there and wait, you know, until Jesus comes. Absolutely not. Absolutely not. He's saying, no, we need to be people who, who devote ourselves to, to, to doing good, as the Apostle Paul will say, to doing good in the world, to being a people who every day we are living oriented to the living God and we are living oriented to loving our neighbor as ourselves. Bringing together these corollary truths that God delays in order to bring more into the kingdom, and that that motivates us to tell other people about God um, 
and also uh, of us being uh, devoting ourselves to faithful conduct. Faithful conduct that brings brings glory to God. And so Peter's saying, you know, the opposite of all of this is a spirit of self-interest, of self-absorption, of apathy. Uh, that stuff, you know, wow, we heard a weird message tonight about Jesus coming back. <laughs> you know, let's get on. Who's, who, what's the football game tomorrow? You know, that kind of listlessness, disobedience, lovelessness. And yet Peter's saying, brothers, sisters, the Lord will come. He will. Are you ready? Are you waiting? Are you living now in light of that reality, that promise, that future? Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would uh, stir us up a little bit tonight out of our routines, out of our daily preoccupations to Consider in a fresh way our createdness, our place in, 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 the, in the world, and your purposes as they unfold. And I pray, Father, that uh, tonight we, we who are servants of Christ here tonight would take these promises more deeply to heart and would begin in a fresh way to live in light of them. And Lord, if there's someone here tonight who does not know Christ, does not know you, perhaps what we're saying would uh, raise questions in their hearts and their minds. Could this be true, that there is a living God who will judge the earth and all that is in it? Could it be true that there is a, a new heavens and a new earth coming where righteousness dwells? Lord, stir our hearts however they need to be stirred. Draw us closer to you, in Christ's name. Amen. Amen.